Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things anxiety, big emotions, emotion regulation. Right now, I'm still in my trauma series, and I was so fortunate to have a fantastic guest to come and talk about her experiences as a trauma survivor and some of the things that she's done to help heal in her journey. Angie Barrett, she's an intuitive movement coach, registered nurse, advanced trauma-informed yoga instructor, and stand-up paddleboard yoga instructor. That sounds amazing. Um, She understands the human body and how it works. She helps people relieve stress, anxiety, depression, and trauma through play, movements, and fun so they can have healing and peace in their lives. I had a fantastic conversation, and I hope you enjoy too. All right. Well, Angie, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's very exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. I am excited to be here. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot to offer. We are in the trauma series that I'm doing on the podcast, and this is a great time for you to be on, to be able to talk about some of your experiences. You had talked about the black hole of pain. Was that, yeah, black hole of pain. And that just sounds so profound. Uh, So maybe let's get us started with talking a little bit about yourself and um, some of the work that you've done for yourself. Yeah. So my name's Angie Barrett. Um, My pronouns are she or they. And I grew up in a very fundamental um, Christian religion. And I was um, started being abused when I was very little by members of the congregation um, that we went to church with. They were friends of my parents and it was unbeknownst to my parents. And it was very interesting. I actually had no memory of it um, until about seven years ago. So I grew up, I experienced this horrific abuse um, and I had blocked it out. It was so traumatic. I All I knew is that I had what I call this black hole of pain inside of me, just this pain that I never could quite understand. So I grew up, I became a registered nurse. I got married. I actually married an abusive man through an abusive religion. Uh, marriage. And then finally got out at about age 30. I was able to finally find the strength and the courage to leave my husband and then started on this journey to heal. And about seven years ago, I, so I went through therapy after my marriage, did a lot of stuff. I thought that that was um, what was causing this just pit of despair, this black hole of pain I had inside of me. And I just never could quite get rid of it. No matter how much therapy I did, it just was always there. And then about seven years ago, um, well, let me back up. I grew up, I became a registered nurse. I've worked in emergency departments. I've worked in ICUs. And so I've always worked in very um, traumatic, high adrenaline type environments. And I became a nurse because I felt like it was a way that I needed to, um, earn my place in this world because there was something so fundamentally wrong with me. And there, don't get me wrong, there are things I love about nursing, but I really did end up kind of punishing myself with how um, how much I let people mistreat me, even in my nursing career. And so about seven years ago, I, pardon me, um, I was dating someone and they started cheating on me. 
And when I found out um, that betrayal opened up the memories of my child abuse coming out. So I really kind of hit rock bottom. I was dealing with dueling traumas, both my partner who um, had cheated on me and then the memories of my child abuse starting to come out by family, friends, people that were supposed to have protected me. And so went on a really dark journey and learned that that's where my black hole of pain came from and have um, have worked incredibly hard to figure out how to overcome and heal from that trauma. And so that's kind of where I'm at today is I think on the other side, I still have some remnant and certain things will tap into making me feel that black hole of pain, but I now know more what those triggers are and I have more tools in order to help overcome that. Right. Oh man. I I've got about a million things just from that yes. one story, right? Like, you know, the abuse, which is so traumatic, but the resilience of the growing up and becoming a nurse and getting into the helping profession. Right. And I think sometimes, I mean, we're going to acknowledge the trauma and the pain because that's always so hard. We're always going to acknowledge that, but then also looking at the strengths and resilience. Um, and I've got so many questions just yeah. about your journey in the past seven years. So tell us about how you started overcoming some of that trauma, this black hole of pain that you're experiencing. So I'm going to fully admit I started, um, substance abusing when yeah, all this of course. happened. Um, yeah. and I also, it, it, there were kind of dueling things happening in my brain. The nurse part of me knew that what I was doing was not safe. I was using alcohol and I knew that I was going to hurt myself or someone else. And yet I couldn't stop. I needed it. I needed something to dull how bad I was hurting. So I actually ended up checking myself into an inpatient psychiatric hospital. Um, I spent about a month there learning um, how to keep myself safe because I was um, very much in the pits of despair. And so I spent a month inpatient and then started intensive outpatient therapy when I got done. Um, I found a fantastic therapist um, and so the type of therapy I do is EMDR, which really um, has been beneficial. So for those of you that maybe don't know what EMDR is, Caroline, you might be able to correct me on the eye movement and desensitization reprocessing. Yeah. So it's, you watch, a, I do it with a light, you watch a light go back and forth. And there's something with the side to side movement, the eyes moving, especially for me that helps to reprocess, reorganize, but also helps that pain desensitize, desensitize. So it made it so that it was a little bit easier to sit in the discomfort of the anxiety, the pain, the depression, the, all of that stuff that I was feeling. And so I did EMDR for a while. I ended up taking a break from nursing. It became a little too much for me and I needed something to do. And I've always practiced yoga. I've, I've done yoga for years. And the studio that I went, that I practiced at was offering a yoga teacher training. And I thought, oh, I need something to do. I'll just take this yoga teacher training. And I loved it. I loved being able to um, to work with people in a way to help them connect to their bodies because I was so checked out from my body. And I loved being able to work with people proactively to help change things maybe on the front end rather than being a nurse and working with them when they came in at their crisis point. And as I continued through my journey, it actually got to the point where I couldn't practice yoga. It was too uncomfortable for me to sit in the sensations of even doing yoga. I could teach it, but I could not be a student. 
Um, and that became kind of challenging for me. And when the pandemic hit, I, a friend of mine who's a yoga teacher said, Angie, I'm going to take a trauma-informed yoga instructor training. Do you want to do it with me? And I thought, okay, yeah, let's see if that, you know, trauma-informed yoga, let's see if that maybe helps me to be able to, to do yoga again. And so two things were happening. I started taking this trauma-informed yoga training and one of the, the lessons that we had was about how powerful play is in helping us tap into a part of our nervous system that helps us to heal. So play is actually this kind of space that allows us to step back from the human experience and to feel sensations and emotions in our body in ways that feel safe. So I was learning about that from a nervous system, the scientific perspective, and at the same time in my therapy, my therapist was having, um, we were going through a protocol that is used for children who experience, for people who experience trauma as young children. And it relies on the premise that all human, I mean, all mammals, humans included, we all have the same nervous system as, as mammals. Um, we're born with our brains pre-wired. We come out with seven circuits already in our brain. And one of those circuits is play. And so think of how children learn. You know, children learn by playing. They learn how to navigate their environment. And so those two things happened kind of at the same time. And I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm supposed to be learning how important play is. And as I worked through both of those different ways, I started using playful movements as a way to tap into learning how to sit in the discomfort of those emotions. I have a lot of anxiety. And if you can't tell, I have a lot of energy. And so my energy really um, manifests as anxiety or I'm shut down and I'm in depression. I, there's really no middle ground for me. It's high or low. And play and learning how to use play started giving me this in between where I could feel those sensations of the anxiety or even the shutdown and freeze without having to fully go into it. And it just has evolved into this exploration that I started with my body. And now I teach others how to use that to, to learn what their nervous systems are telling them in order to help navigate those highs and lows. Mm -hmm. That's so incredible. I mean, I talk a lot about the brain and obviously how traumatic events are processed differently in the brain, right? And we yes. can't recall them like normal memories. And yep. so, I mean, for you, it was just seven years ago. I, and I even know with my, my kids, they'll have these big traumatic events and it's, you know, a year or two later, something will trigger, oh my gosh, mom, I forgot to tell you that this traumatic thing had happened. And I think a lot of parents don't necessarily understand that or people necessarily understand that. But when we go into freeze, usually when we're in the traumatic event, we usually go into freeze and yeah. we disassociate, right? Yeah. We it's, it's literally because if we were being eaten by a tiger, we wouldn't want to feel that pain. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we go into that freeze mode. And so I think we lose touch, that introceptive awareness, our awareness of what's happening in our bodies. And so that movement, and we're seeing a huge movement towards more body work versus the talk therapy. Actually, that was the, one of the questions I was going to ask earlier, those years of therapy that you did before pre recognizing, remembering your trauma, was it more sort of CBT talk therapy? What were you doing before? It was, it was, it was yeah. more talk therapy. Yeah. Um, I, was 
I'd been with a therapist who was fantastic and right as I was moving out of state. And so I was going to stop seeing her right as I was moving out. She said to me, I think you need to do some EMDR. And I didn't follow up on it until years later. Okay. But yeah, it was all talk therapy up until that point. Right. And so some of the movement stuff, I mean, we're going to get into that. Um, well, actually, why not? Why don't, why not? Let's get into some of the things that you have been doing to build up that interoceptive awareness and just healing. Yeah. So before I go into that, um, I like to explain more what's happening in our body so that we understand yeah. how play actually really does help play and movement, if that's all right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So the way that I like to explain what's happening in our body is two things. One, it's a protective mechanism. So oftentimes, even though anxiety, depression, freeze, all that stuff is overwhelming, it's really our body trying to protect us. And so um, one of the most relieving things for me was to learn that it was normal. It was 100% normal. My body was doing what it was supposed to do, made that so much easier for me to start to learn how to sit into that. So I always like to say, your body's doing what it's supposed to do. There's and nothing wrong. And brain. And I always say that yes. too, your brain, our brains are built to be anxious and depressed. So we don't yes. get eaten. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, mm -hmm. and so I'm going to come back to what, what we're talking about with Dan Siegel and the hand brain model um, is my favorite way to explain what's happening in the body. And that also explains why movement is so important. So I did not come up with this. It was developed by a psychologist by the name of Dr. Dan Siegel, and it's the hand brain model. So um, imagine, or you can actually do it if you want, folding your thumb into the center of your palms and the top of your fingers wrap over that thumb folded into the palm. And the top of your fingers um, are the top rational. Oh, and if you do it with both hands, you put your hands together, that's your brain. We have two halves to our brain, but we're just going to use one half because they're sort of, I mean, they're, they're structurally similar on both sides. So the fingers folded over top of the thumb, the top fingers, that's the rational thinking part of our brain. That's the part of our brain that forms connections. That's where we're in our rational thinking brain. And so for you parents out there, just so you know, that doesn't fully form until we're about age 25 to sometimes 30, depending on the person. So especially for children, for people who have some sort of developmental trauma, those neurons are forming underneath those traumatic conditions. So that's that can create a lot of anxiety, depression, all that kind of stuff. So that's the rational thinking part of our brain. If you flip the fingers up and the thumb is folded into the center of the palm, this is what's called the limbic system or where our fight or flight center is housed. It's also really close to our memory center. So they really closely are connected. So when that tiger um, is either is coming at you and whether it's a real tiger actually physically coming at you or it's a memory of a tiger, something that maybe is triggering into that fear center that you might not be aware of, we do what's called flip our lid. So our fingers, our rational thinking brain disconnect. We're no longer in our rational thinking brain. We're now purely in our fight or flight center. So when we do that, our body's actually getting us ready to run away or to fight. So imagine that you have a tiger coming at you. And what does your body do? It releases hormones. It releases chemicals, getting you ready to run or to fight. So you start to have this buildup of actual energy, this inertia, your body's trying to protect itself. 
Um, so that's oftentimes where we feel the anxiety, the irritability, the stress, the anger, the frustration, all of that kind of stuff is very common in our fight or flight system or what's called our sympathetic nervous system. So if that stressor continues, or if it gets to the point where it overwhelms our defenses, we move down into the wrist, if you're doing the hand-brain model, which is the brain stem, which is where the brain comes out into the spinal cord. And that's oftentimes where we go into that freeze, that shutdown, that or the dissociation, the checking out from our bodies. And I always describe it as, have you ever seen a goat when they get startled, their legs shoot out and they just fall over to the side. So that's what we as humans do in freeze, but we're a little more sophisticated than that. We oftentimes will um, stuff our feelings down with substances, with food, um, or we'll zone out. One of my big ones is I'll just put Netflix on and binge watch TV for hours because I don't want to do anything. Um, but we just we just literally can't move, can't function. And the healthiest way to come back is we have to go back through fight or flight, release that buildup of energy, and then that'll bring the rational thinking part online. If we don't go back through that fight or flight and release that energy, then we just end up stuffing it down until something happens where we're going to flip our lid and blow up at something that we really don't necessarily want to be blowing up as at. So we just are piling, piling, piling more and more actual physical energy on top of more and more stuff until it needs a release. So what movement does is movement takes us out of that free state back through fight or flight to release that energy to bring the brain back online. So here comes my play. This is kind of where I um, bring play into it. And the way that I like to explain it is to think about or to actually even do this, to play the game red light, green light. Um, and even do this with your kids. Kids can do this. This is a great way to help regulate or teach your kids what, how to regulate and what the sensations feel like. So when you say red light, it's like a red light on a stoplight. You stop, you freeze in place. And then when you say or think green light, run, kick, punch, do whatever you would do like you were trying to fight or flight and don't actually punch anybody or anything, you know, do it in place. Um, and then cycle through that green light, run, kick, punch, do whatever you need. And then red light freeze in place. And as you start to do that more and more, you're going to notice your body still has this swirling energy when you come into red light, but you're frozen in place. You're not doing anything to release it. And so as you go through, that's how our bodies cycle between fight, flight, and freeze. And we're always going through it, just always. So when we add movement into that, that's a way. So even playing the game red light, green light to learn what that feels like in your body is a way of releasing some of that pent up energy, some of that pent up stored up emotional itchiness inside of you. And that's a great way to teach kids, teach yourselves how to somewhat more start to learn what the signs are to recognize fight, flight, and freeze is the game red light, green light. So that's how movement helps. That was a very long answer, but it helps us to release that. Yeah, I love it. And and I mean, yeah, because we've got all this adrenaline up in our body and cortisol is actually a good thing. I don't think people necessarily realize that we think it's just a bad thing. Cortisol is good. The only time it's not good is when we don't move. It's when we're feeling stressed and we go and sit on the couch and watch Netflix. That's where cortisol becomes a problem. Yes. 
Yeah. So that's great. And actually I love that you use red light, green light. I do a lot of, um, frustration tolerance and, and, you know, siblings, for example, are usually a great, it's a great time because there's a lot of sibling rivalry and they know they're not supposed to punch each other in the face. Um, but they just can't help themselves in the moment. So I do something very similar where I get them to wrestle, you know, or, and, and I let them wrestle how they would even just play wrestling. Yes. Wrestling is important for self-regulation, getting that movement, but then doing like a freeze kind of hands off of each other. Right. Yeah. So I, I do very similar things, but I love the red light, green light game. It gives, it gives me, and it gives people that I've talked to that opportunity to punch, like to get that anger out because we do have it and it's not socially acceptable to have anger. So to find a way to, I'm not a puncher, I'm more of a runner, but to get that out sometimes when we need it in a way that nobody gets hurt, anger can be healthy. And so just to release that in ways, I love the wrestling idea and then freeze hands off. It's yeah. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and being able, just going back to a point, sorry, if we're going to go backwards here, totally a good. Bit, yeah. but I, I want to make sure we don't miss anything. So looking at the importance, you know, we said our brains and body are built to be anxious and depressed. Um, and you had said earlier on in one of your stories, it's about not getting rid of it. We can't get rid of those things, but being able to tolerate those feelings. And, and that's the movement forward, right? It's, we're still going to feel these things. It's just, what are we doing? Are we going to go open up a bottle of wine and chill in front of Netflix, or are we going to do something helpful and adaptive? Um, for you, and I do talk a lot on the podcast about the benefit and, and how our brain is anxious and depressed and why we need to have those things. Um, from your perspective, is there anything that you wanted to add just about why those are actually important and quite adaptive for us? But we can move past it too, if we don't. I it, I, it, they're protective mechanisms. They really are trying to keep us safe and keep us from being harmed. Even freeze, um, when we go into freeze, chemicals and, and hormones are released so that it numbs us so that we don't have to feel this inevitable death that we're succumbing to, or, you know, this, this horrible, overwhelming pain. So they're absolutely imperative to our survival and it's learning how to work with them. And, and there are, there are many tools to help with that. Um, so yeah, let's get into some of those, um, takeaway sort of moves that we can get into. Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about play is that it can both calm and soothe our nervous system. So put us into more of a rest and digest part of our nervous system, um, as well as, activate us to release some energy. So it helps us learn how to more regulate our nervous systems. And one of the first things that I always suggest people do is learn how to, you know, self-soothe. And I even start with a side to side sway. Um, so I invite people, feel free to do this with me if you want, you can watch along, whatever feels most comfortable to you is side to side sway. So in soothing our nervous systems, think back to once again, being a baby, um, repetitive rhythmic movements are calming to children. And it's the same thing. We still have those same nervous systems that children do. So exploring a side to side sway versus maybe now go try front to back. And as you do that, start to explore what happens in your body. 
So for me, front to back, I start to grip my jaw, my shoulders start to raise a little bit, my gut clenches. Those are all signs that we're uncomfortable, maybe heading more towards fight or flight. Whereas when I do side to side sway, my shoulders relax, my toes uncurl, my fingers unclench. And so, um, but many of my clients front to back feels more comfortable. So everybody has a different sway that feels more soothing to them. And by starting with something soothing, learning just a simple tool that you can do anytime you start to feel anxious. And even when you're in overwhelm, just a simple side to side sway is enough movement to start to pull you out of that freeze that you can start to process or bring that rational brain back online. So that's one of my favorites. I, I do it regularly. In fact, I've trained my body so much that when I get nervous, I just start doing it anyway. Um, so sway. And then we start to move up to more, um, de depending on the person and depending on where you are, um, we can move up to bigger movements. So one of my favorite um, play movements to do, I call octopus on roller skates. And it's pretend that you're an octopus, you have eight arms and legs, and each limb has no bones, but a shoe with wheels on the bottom of it. How would your body move? And so just let your body be free flowing. And for many people that's uncomfortable. So if that's uncomfortable, maybe try just your fingers, letting your fingers be this octopus on roller skates. And as you do that um, and do it once again, repetitive and rhythmically, whatever mm -hmm. rhythm you want to, it doesn't have to be to any beat. It can be to whatever rhythm you want in your head it's starting to let your body just be more free flowing. And then you start to notice, or I invite people to notice, check in what's happening with your heart rate. And as people are doing this big kind of silly movement, their heart rate starting to increase, their breathing starting to increase, which are sensations that we have when we go into fight, flight, or freeze. But now we're feeling them in a way that we're in control of, and that is fun and playful. And so that starts to expand our window of tolerance or our ability to sit in that discomfort because, oh no, you know, I have control when I feel like this, I can release it by pretending like I'm an octopus on roller skates or coming back to my side to side sway or things like that. So those are I imitate a lot of animals when I do play movements because it's a way to step out of that human experience to let our mind and our body connect where we're not worried about um, school or what people think. Well, we still are worried about what people think, many of us, when we start to do play, but it takes us out of that human experience to get to be an animal. Um, one of the negative beliefs that I carry about myself is that I'm small and I'm weak. Um, that was based on the abuse that I had. And so when I'm feeling that way and need to do something, which by the way, I did this right before this podcast, um, <laughs> I walk around like an elephant. Like I actually stomp mm. around and pretend to be an elephant because elephants are as big as they want to be. They get to, they don't care what gets in their way. They will they just walk around as big as they want. And so doing that starts to shift and change how we feel and how we perceive ourselves by pretending to be something else. It taps into that, um, that creativity in our brain. I one time heard trauma defined as the loss of imagination. And so by pretending to be animals, we start to tap into that ability to separate from the the negative beliefs that we have surrounding those emotions and be as free as we want to be. 
or as free as we can. And so um, that those are some of the my favorite playful movements. Those are great. And I talk a lot about getting curious and there's so much research too around awe, right? Just whether it's watching a beautiful sunrise and that kind of taps, I feel that there's parallels there, right? With that, the awe of being a big elephant, but being able to feel all those different things, but you're also curious and how would an elephant move and what's happening in my body. And I love these ideas because I do a lot of building awareness of what's happening in the body, but these are great ways. And yoga actually is too, right? Being able to feel the stretch and feel what's going on, but in the play sense, especially a lot of the kids that I, well, I work with kids. Um, yes. So the play is fantastic. It's just getting, yeah, over our uh, who's watching and parents, especially right. Mm-hmm. Parents getting over the, this is too silly. I feel too weird or too awkward to do this. I, so I have done some, some education for parents, um, especially parents of children who have been, um, been traumatized. And I tell the parents, the more you can do play with your children, the more you teach them that it's okay to have that sense of silliness, that fun, that play, that ability to, um, to self-regulate. And so coming back to what you're talking about, for many trauma survivors, feeling those sensations in our body. And that's why I had to stop practicing yoga because the sensations became too overwhelming. And so just for trauma survivors and especially for children of trauma, um, it can be very uncomfortable to feel any sensations in our body. That That's what it was for me. And play gave me that opportunity to feel those sensations without having to... Um, to feel overwhelmed because I wasn't even because I wasn't doing normal human things. I was an elephant or I was whatever, whatever I was doing, those sensations became much easier for me to feel. Whereas with yoga, even, and I love yoga, I teach yoga, um, yoga became too much because the sensations even were too overwhelming for my very, um, fight or flight freeze nervous system state that I was in. It was, it was just way too much without, I didn't, I just, I couldn't do it. It shut me down a hundred percent every time I tried to do it. Yeah. And so that's goes to the point of finding what works like, yeah, the front, even just this way front to back doesn't work for me, but so many people does actually at my girls ringette games, I'm always swaying side to side. It's so stressful. (laughs) Um, well, this has been fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't Is there anything that we missed? Did you touch on everything that you think is important to share? Only other thing I like to say is there's hope. So even if you feel in the depths of despair or you feel like your anxiety is out of control, there are tools, you're, there are tools, there's hope. It doesn't have to be, um, I always say it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a death sentence living with mental health issues. And, and, and that goes to the whole piece that we didn't talk about really was the resilience and just seeing, you know, how resilient you are now and hearing your story. I think that kind of helps show that hopefulness, right? That there is another side and how can we take that, those strengths. And I would say that you probably have more strengths than people who haven't had the same traumatic experiences, right? And now you're sharing that, that survivor story and, and helping others as well. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And your, so I'm speaking to anybody listening, your story is unique in that you've experienced it and your strengths are a light to people 
who maybe have experienced something similar. Um, so there is hope. It's just finding what works for you. And if there's not something out there, then create it. That's what mm -hmm. I did. I didn't, I couldn't find anything that worked um, for me. So I created something. And so um, there's hope. And it's, if there's not something already out there, look inside yourself because you know what you need more than anyone else does. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I know that there's some resources that you've provided that I will put in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to find you if they want to reach out? Yeah. So the best place is my website. It's angiebarrettmovement.com. And I do spell my last name B-E-R-R-E-T-T. -T. I spell it a little bit differently. Um, but I do have a free short movement sequence for when you feel like you are going to lose control. That's a fun, playful one. Um, and you can get in touch with me either that way or all my socials are on there. Um, I do put out fun, playful movements um, on some of my socials. So if you want to see more examples of what I'm talking about, you can always get to everything through my website. Fantastic. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.